Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Well, hello and welcome again to Cross Section, where we try and take some of the big news stories of the week. We try and put them through the cross section of our faith, culture, where we see the intersection of those things and just wrestle with what is going on with our world at the moment and how we as Christians can approach that. There's no definitive way to do that, but each of us has different experiences and we want to bring those to bear. So today I am joined by Danny Webster and Joe Evans. So welcome to you both. Evening. Hello. And it's Thursday evening. We're bringing this recording to you. So we uh, are, I'm in London actually today, which is exciting for me. It's a different experience and uh, got to run the Paris half marathon at the weekend. So I feel like I'm catching up on the week a little bit. Anything interesting going on with either of you pair? Well, um, the more observant of our viewers will notice some sparkly eyeshadow. We're, we're um, recording a bit later than normal this week. And um, this evening, I'm going to a gig, which in itself is very exciting. But it is one of the more random things I've done. We Have either of you watched the series Made on Netflix? Blankstairs says no. Great. I, I tapped out after two episodes of that. Well, I loved it. It's a I think it's a beautiful and powerful series and would recommend it to anyone. But in the last episode, there's just this beautiful song that's played. And me and Tom were like, who's that by? Shazammed it, got it up, saw that he was performing in a few weeks' time. No, none of his other songs, but we're going to see um, Simmel tonight. So I'll let you know if I'm an all-round fan. Danny, any, any cultural uh, kind of uh, anecdotes or uh, things for us? Or are you just stuck at home tonight? I have a, a toddler to look after this evening. It's been a while since I've been able to go out to a gig. I remember going to an experimental jazz concert that I had to find my way out of halfway through because it was really, really, really bad. <laughs> oh, Danny, Danny, don't worry, life comes back again. You'll get there. We uh, left our kids for the first time in a while to go to Paris. So it was absolutely delightful to do that. But enough about us and our uh, evening or weekend plans. So uh, we are looking today at From Kiev to Killing Eve. Somehow we're going to manage to straddle that because the big news story of the week does remain uh, Ukraine and uh, we want to just look at what's going on. Um, there have been short-term successes for the Ukrainians, it feels like, but also it does all seem clear that Russia are slowly but surely advancing across the country. And we've read really horrific stories uh, this week. I think the one that stands out to me is around the mother and baby hospital and the bombing of that uh, and just the inhumanity, the evilness of those actions and just really hard to kind of process uh, all of that and just what's going on. So we are going to look at that story. We are going to talk a bit about where we're getting our news sources from, how we're processing that, what it looks like. Danny, I know you tweeted earlier this week, and I just want to ask you about this, about the, the piano competition sanctions, which just seems to reveal something of your world and personality. <laughs> Tell well, us more. Well, last week we were talking about whether sports stars should or should not be banned or whether Russian sports teams should or should not be banned. But apparently a music competition has uh, banned Russian pianists from participating in a competition. And this was put out on Twitter and I would have to say that most of the response was critical of this competition uh, penalising the Russian pianists um, 
and not allowing them to attend. Now, there are, there are practical considerations. Travel routes out of Russia are somewhat complicated now, so they, it may have been hard for them to get out. But it it is interesting, and we talk, touched on this before, about this, this networked world where it's not just what governments do in terms of sanctions, it's what cultural institutions do, it's what companies do, do you've now got Chelsea Football Club that's basically been put under well Roman Abramovich's assets have all been seized and Chelsea Football Club is allowed to continue operating but they can't sell any new tickets to games they can't sell any merchandise and it's how all of these other things beyond just the political state actions uh, impact Russia and whether this is then something that is going to determine the outcome of this war. Yeah it's interesting I feel as you speak, I feel more of a pang of sympathy for um, a Russian pianist than I did for Russian sport sport athletes. That's the word, and I was thinking why that is, but perhaps that's just because I'm more I'm more of aware of what's going on in the sports world than I am of the classical music world. Again, that probably says more about you and me, Danny. But yeah, it, it, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it feels it feels strange, but people want to make big statements, don't they? the world wants to rage against what's happening in Ukraine. And it is this uh, network world, Danny, you were talking about, that's a phrase that Mark Sayers uh, has picked up. Um, some of you have followed Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer on this cultural moment. Mark has a podcast, Rebuilders, um, really helpful if you want to kind of dig more in depth. But he's picking up on other thinkers we've written about this. Uh, uh, for simple people like me, Danny, I call it the McDonald theory. I think that's from Thomas Friedman. It is based on a more complicated theory, I know, but I like that one. So no two countries with the McDonald's go to war with each other is basically Friedman's summary of basically if you're a liberal democracy, if you if you move to democracy, you've got a good economic system, you kind of develop your middle class, your country becomes more civilized and sophisticated. It's too costly to go to war if you've got a McDonald's. Um, and so Ukraine has 250 and I think Russia has 850, but, but one of the sanctions being imposed is McDonald's is pulling out of Russia. Um, exactly. Because this network world. Exactly. I think that's what's interesting. So the opening of McDonald's in Moscow in 1990 was seen as one of these definitive signs that the Cold War was ending, that Western culture um, was coming to Moscow, that a Canadian McDonald's franchise owner was uh, finding beef and potatoes in Russia to open a Mos uh, Moscow McDonald's. And now their 850 stores are closing. And I think it is this idea that interdependence reduces the likelihood of war. I think the, the political theory is more modest in that it says countries that trade together are less likely to fight together. Democracies are less likely to fight each other. But I think we're now seeing those things fall apart, that people aren't going to be trading with Russia. Russia's not a democracy anymore. It's been kicked out of the Council of Europe. Oh, no, it was, it was suspended from the Council of Europe, and Russia have now withdrawn from the Council of Europe. So their relationship with other countries, they're becoming more and more isolated. Peter? Joe, you were coming in, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, I just wonder, a lot of what's going on, right, is we're trying to understand the mindset of Putin. And I guess my question is, how much does Putin care whether his people are upset that they can't get their Big Mac and their Diet Coke? How much does he care about that? Or has he just got this, this plan of chaos and destruction and he doesn't really care how his people feel about it? 
Yeah, I think that's true uh, to an extent. I think he, he seems to be driven the best uh, we can see from the analysis by a, a kind of nationalism and imperialism. He wants to make Russia great again, if you like to take that, that phrase from Trump. He wants to expand it to its old borders. Uh, he wants to build the empire. He wants to leave a legacy. And he's talked about the decadence, actually, of the West. He says, look, the West is a failed system. He has no interest in living by Western rules. He sees those as an imposition, even our idea of human rights as to how you do things in war. He's like, he doesn't seem to have any interest in that. He said, okay. And he is pushing against that. He lives and thrives in chaos, in disinformation, in the kind of gray spaces. And it's just like, I'm not interested in playing by what he sees as the imposition of even Western rules on the whole thing. And it is a critique of the Western system. I think that's why we feel it so fundamentally. This is why it's such an important war. Yes, it's geographically close to us, but it is also, to an extent, an attack on the West. Now, that has a whole lot of layers. That's the Christian West, but it's also the liberal, consumerism, secular West, which is why I think it's a really complex but actually interesting thing to understand a bit more about why he's pushing so hard against it and why that McDonaldization theory is a little bit interesting because it is more than Danny, as Danny said, than just pure trade. But this is an idea that, hey, if you reach a certain point, this was the myth of progress. If we all just progressed, we'd all get on, it'd all be fine. We'd see what one guy, Francis Fukuyama, called the end of history, which by which he meant the end of wars, we'd all just get along. And actually, it is more complicated than that. And we're seeing the clash of civilizations again. We're seeing mm. cultures clash and going to war. But Danny, this is your specialist area. You studied this more than uh, me laughing at it. I did, but... What I actually was thinking about was a conversation I had with a Russian who's who's in Moscow uh, just very recently since the war started. And what they were saying was that for some younger people, some of these sanctions, some not being able to use your Apple Pay might make a difference. But actually for a lot of older people, the fear is that this is returning to the Soviet Union and that this is what they're seeing. And I think that's where we're it's important to recognise that whether it's Russian pianists or Russian sports people or uh, Russians that are now not able to travel out of the country or Russians that have travelled out of the country and can't get back because of some of the travel sanctions. Actually, I think it is important to remember the real people on both sides of this. Clearly, we are appalled by what's happening in the Ukraine and what we're seeing. But actually, there's a lot of people in Russia who are quite concerned about where Russia is going in all of this and that actually this felt like it was building for quite a long time and now it's all happened. Perhaps any hopes that maybe Russia wasn't going in this direction and now extinguished, it feels like well, now Russia's gone over this edge, it's going over this edge faster and it is more and more isolated. Um, there's pressure on other countries in the world to decide which side they're on. Uh, let's leave China to one side for now, but for other countries, actually it's becoming harder and harder to be seen as neutral and a bit like why all the companies want to signal their opposition to Russia, actually other countries are going to find it harder and harder to remain neutral on this in the coming years, coming weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. This We talked about it before, this thing of it feels like the whole... China is an interesting one, but we won't go into that right now. But it kind of feels like the whole world is on one side and Putin's on the other. And in at our church on Sunday the pastor was kind of linking in his sermon to what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. The sermon was actually on Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and how we need God's mercy. But he was, he made this point that I just thought was so interesting of um, the fact or the reason why so much of the world is, is so reacting so violently against what Putin is doing 
is, is in part because of Jesus and the model of leadership that he started. So if, if we look before Jesus, having kind of these tyrant leaders was totally normal. And then Jesus comes in and he introduces the idea of servant leadership, that Jesus washes the feet of those he is the master of. And I just, I thought, I don't know, that's just incredible to me, the way that we, we, I mean, we're all Christians, we believe that Jesus changed the world, but thinking about the way that even that impacts the way we as a society emotionally react to something like Putin, who's just looking to take control, take over, um, I just find that really interesting. And we have seen a return, it feels like, of the language of evil, um, because what what do we say about the barbaric acts that we're seeing? And so Putin has tried to frame this sometimes as a, he's kind of a uh, fighting for Christian ideas. We've seen a complex kind of religious undertones to this battle. Is it a cultural and religious clash to do with the Orthodox Church in Ukraine and in Russia? Putin kind of portraying himself as a savior and he's, he's tying together cultural and religious identities in, in kind of interesting ways, but it's completely at odds with anything Christian. And then on the other side, you sort of see almost the hero worship of Zelensky, who is doing a wonderful job as a Ukrainian leader, but we've also got to be careful to hold that in context. And he doesn't get idealized, it feels to me anyway, in response. And so I find listening to Mark Sayers really interesting on some of that culture class about what is happening at this moment. We thought we were moving to this peaceful and um, progressive new world. That's not the case. Putin's seen that and seen it as a chance, maybe an opportunity to push his own agenda. And actually that's not working out for him. It's his, so, and there is a resistance from the West. And Mark Sayers was asked, well, what way does this go? Does the West unite in this moment and say, we're gonna hold strong together? Or actually do we split even further? Because what we're seeing is a rejection of the Christian story largely in the West and a kind of move to individual stories. We all have your own, our own stories. Joe has her story, Danny has his story, I have my story, it's the kind of Western response. At this moment, we've united, but under pressure, will we hold the line? And why would we hold the line? What are we fighting for? What are we defending? What are these Western values? What are these British values you're supposed to teach in school? What are these ideas? They often pull from Christian roots, but aren't really clear what they're doing. And they absolutely miss Jesus, would be Mark Zayer's point. So I totally agree with the air jokes. So they're kind of pulling some Christian ideas here and there, framing them differently. And I know at the core of this faith is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That fundamentally changes everything. We believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in church communities. None of that's a play in this war. This is nothing to do with any of that. And so it gets a complex space so to begin to think about how do we engage what does a just war look like? Is this a just war? What do we say in response to the bombings? Uh, sorry, I know I've ranted on, but I want one other quote from C.S. Lewis, and then I'm going to hand you, Danny. But somebody was tweeting about this. I think it was Kirsty Kirsty Mayer. I saw this on Twitter. But Lewis wrote just before the Second World War and said, "The war creates no absolutely new situation. It simply aggravates the permanent human condition, so that we can no longer ignore it." And as the hospital and maternity mother and baby unit was bombed i was like yeah actually we live in a world of violence against women and against the unborn baby the war hasn't created anything new except the scale and the, the forthrightness of that attack on both of those groups and yet we're outraged in this moment it's like lewis is saying no i see it's just brought to the forefront what always goes on in our world but in a whole new level and we are faced with the starkness it feels like 
of the war at this moment. So, Peter, you referred to The Clash of Civilizations. It was a book written in 1996. I just, just checked that. So not long after the Cold War had ended. I suppose it felt quite distant at that time. But Samuel Huntington wrote in that book, the dangerous clashes of the future are likely to arise from the interaction of Western arrogance, Islamic intolerance, and Sinic uh, Chinese assertiveness. So in some ways you can look at that and say, wow, that's quite a strong prediction. But also there was this feeling and that the Russia would be absorbed into the West. There was discussion, he discusses it in, in the book, how NATO might expand to take in Eastern Europe and how it might need to take in Russia so that it isn't left isolated and alone. There was this feeling that actually the Western values that had triumphed over communism would triumph. Now, Samuel Huntington was constantly raising questions saying, but civilizations clash. This is what we see throughout history. We don't see a universal... Uh, civilization actually we see this clash of civilizations and we should expect this to continue and i think we've got used to living in a context where we just think we get things our way and i think when we are recognizing on a global scale that that's it's never been true and it's not true uh, but we've been somewhat isolated and insulated from that so that we've been able to convince ourselves that everything's okay and we don't have to worry about it and suddenly we see war I mean, as you say we see maternity units being bombed and we know that everything's really really not okay so uh danny and i have gone from being obviously covid experts like everybody else on twitter <laughs> to war experts joe you take us down from the abstraction where we like to go sometimes and play around in these big ideas and i think they're really important because there are big story clashes but actually in terms of refugees in terms of cost of living this has some really practical impact upon us and, and, and our, as opposed to how we reflect as both individual Christians and as churches and some of what's happening in this moment. Yeah, we, we've talked about on the past couple of weeks on this podcast about our kind of emotional engagement in the war. And I'm not much of a cynic, but I guess when the coverage started, the cynic in me wondered how long it would be until the war felt like old news. And I know I started feeling, particularly this week in conversations, I know you guys have, have felt little bits of this, already a kind of a desire to protect myself from the, the painful news and images that we can see changing every hour on the news. And like I know people who, have, who are having nightmares as if they're in the war because they're just digesting stuff all the time. And I guess I was just thinking, I don't, I don't want to become emotionally unengaged like like we were talking about last week. I think it's it's important that we keep remembering that this war is happening to real people. And I also just wanted to flag that although we're all really interested in this, we are not necessarily the experts on the war in Ukraine. And I just want <laughs> sorry, I hope that doesn't offend either of you. But I just wanted to flag up the BBC at the moment are doing this thing called Ukraine Cast. It's a daily um podcast on Ukraine. Um of course, we want all our listeners to be totally loyal to Cross Section, but there are other podcasts out there covering. So it's covering what's going on in Ukraine, and they're they're actually having lots of conversations with real life refugees, people who have taken their families and are either trying to flee or have fled Ukraine. And I was listening to it today, and there was a guy just talking about how po Poland is responding to refugees, and all the messaging, all that's happening there, is not about setting up camps. It's about families absorbing refugees into their homes. 
like making them at home, giving them a new home. I just, I just, it helped me to, to engage with the human side of what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, and we, we definitely are detached from it. I think the refugees is an incredibly tangible and practical way in which people can engage. We're going to see this in the cost, not just of fuel, but of food and supplies. But that's nothing to what those in Ukraine are going to experience. But it's going to put people, some people here in an incredibly difficult situation, making uh, really tough choices about heating their homes and feeding their kids. And, and so we recognize this. And, I, you know, I turn to the Psalms at this moment and, and, and the lament. I love uh, Psalm 2 and the message like about earth leaders pushing for position and demagogues and delegates at summit talks and God deniers and Messiah defiers trying to get free of God. And there's just this, like, God's laughing at you and they're coming down in judgment. You rebel kings, you upstart judges. And we live in a world that is chaotic for many people. And, and you know, in these moments, I love that we have been invited into the God story. It doesn't mean I have an immediate understanding of all that's going on. It doesn't mean that everything's fine. But it does mean that we've been called into a larger story that is the story of the God of the universe who frames and controls this world. And in these moments of chaos and disorientation, there's incredible reassurance on that. And that is one of the challenges, I think, of living at the cross-section. So thank you for joining us. We're about to shift gear in stories. But just a reminder, you are listening to Cross-Section with Joe, Danny, and myself. And we're a relatively new podcast from the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, we would love you to rate us, review us, only if you're going to say nice things, of course. Uh, share it with your friends, families, uh, and others. And uh, yet yeah, you can email us at cross.section at eauk.org. Um, normally we have Instagram, Twitter polls. Uh, this week has been just super busy for a whole variety of reasons, but we'll have those back. You can find us on social media and be engaging with us. Um, and letting us know what you think. We are a membership organization at the Evangelical Alliance. It would be remiss of me not to remind you that for the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can become a member, support what we do, get behind our work as we serve the church right here and right across the UK. Um, and on that, that is a, just a stunningly smooth pivot from <laughs> Kiev to Killing Eve, which is a totally different cultural story. And in one sense, it's really hard to do because we don't want to in any way diminish all that's going on in Ukraine. That is the big news story. But there are other things happening. And apparently, Danny's been doing some late night TV watching. So Killing Eve is back for its fourth and final uh, season. And I don't think this is as unsmooth a transition as you might suggest. It is set in a post-Soviet world with spies and assassins and mafias and elites and people existing in the shady worlds and there's a lot of violence in it a lot of violence in it joe is it your normal tv well that's a good question i am someone who cannot cope with violence on any level on tv i will have nightmares about it so i do spend quite a lot of killing you covering my eyes is i find it uh, i'll be honest i find it challenging um (laughs) Challenging to myself as a Christian, I enjoy watching Killing Me, and yet I wouldn't feel comfortable recommending it to anyone <laughs> because I don't, I'm not sure how helpful it really is. But we started watching it in the depths of lockdown when it felt like we had watched all other TV. <laughs> and it was like, okay, what are other shows out there that people talk about? But yeah, it, it's interesting that series, the final series started, I think... Did the first episode actually come out two weeks ago? A, 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 very close to when 
everything kicked off in Ukraine and that's makes it a little bit more interesting to watch because there's a lot of baddie Russians in Kyiv. But well, yes, and go on, Danny. But it's, there's a there's violence in it. But also, what's interesting about this season is there's um, some content that is very explicitly Christian and potentially blasphemous. And well, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but there's churches and there's attempted murders and there's <laughs> baptisms and apparitions of Jesus that don't necessarily look conventional. Does that bother you more than the violence or less than the violence? So I had heard that there was going to be some sort of Christian element before watching episode one of series four. So I was there. For those of you who don't know, I did do film studies at university. So I was there with my analytical head on thinking, I'm going to hate this. <laughs> and But, you know, I actually didn't. I actually think... Killing Eve is a dark, twisted comedy. So the representation of Christianity was never going to be something that filled me with joy. And yet, uh, we don't want to give spoilers, but I think it's important to give a bit of context. Killing Eve, where she is now, after we left her series three, she kind of wants to start a new life. And she's living with a Christian family and she's working for a church. And although, yes, there were some bits I didn't love, I think she she's represented as genuinely trying to find some sort of redemption. And don't we kind of want Christianity to be held up as as where that could be found? I, I might be proven wrong by episode two, but what did you think, Danny? Well, I've only watched episode one. Episode two is also available on iPlayer now. So maybe that's my evening sorted for tonight. I... I'm not overly bothered. I think it fits the type of programme Killing Eve is. But I am reminded that Christians haven't necessarily had the best legacy. They were at the forefront of campaigning against Monty Python and the Holy Grail and other kind of depictions of Christianity in the media. Jerry Springer, the opera, was another one that comes to mind. People say nasty things about Christianity. People mock Christianity and I think if we spend too much time getting concerned about that rather than wanting to speak positively about Jesus, then actually that's not necessarily particularly helpful. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I just I'm not I'm not sure that it was mocking Christianity. I mean I don't know. It wasn't ideal, but I think I think I don't know. I think there was some real kind of even there is there is a pretty poor representation of Jesus in the last scene. I won't spoil it, but it, that wasn't great. But even that killing. Uh, I was going to say the, the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail had to. Uh, the Daily Mail's headline was blatant blasphemy of villainous villanelle is positively criminal. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I should agree with you. I'm just not sure that I do. She 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 thinks she's found Jesus, and she tears up at the idea that she might be saved. I don't know. It's not the worst thing I've seen out there. I think I think um, uh, Vicar of Dibley has a lot more to answer for, to be honest. Peter, have we gone oh, on con- too long? <laughs> con- con- controversial note on the Vicar of Dibley. Um, I think look, we've raised some questions about how Christianity is portrayed in the media. And I think we've raised the question, are we sometimes to blame ourselves? How well do we do at articulating the God story and the fullness of the gospel into the into the public square and how easy do we make it to caricature ourselves. I, I saw the article about the blasphemy, I haven't watched the episode, 
Uh, I think the comparison is the classic, oh, would you do that to other religions? And almost certainly they wouldn't. But actually, God doesn't need defended by me. I used to be a defense lawyer. I don't feel the need to defend God. That doesn't mean I approve. I haven't seen this particular clip. But I am interested that there is a desire and, in fact, a willingness to pull on the Christian themes because clearly they're going to resonate enough for people that they're able to use them. And even if there's a bit of subverting, in that moment, people are still challenged to think about, well, what is the thread that's being pulled on? Why are they referring to Jesus? Why a saviour? Why baptism? What are those things? And they're so part of our cultural story that I suppose for me, as we think of cross-section, that's where we want to see the bridge build in this moment. I do think our culture is living off the fumes of its Christian heritage. I think that's being exposed by things like the larger conflict in Ukraine, the questions being asked, what are these Western values that we're wanting to defend and talk about? Putin's accused the West of being in a season of decadence. Actually, there's something we might need to look at in that. That might be the only thing that I would agree with them on. At least that's a question worth asking because we're trying to pull on the fruits of Christianity while ignoring the God of the story behind it. And that for us is the key, isn't it, to get back to the heart of that and to live at the cross section and say, okay, what did Jesus do? What are these cultural threads that are being pulled on? And how do we use that potentially in a conversation with friends and family say, oh, really interesting to see that. I totally disagree with what they did, but I am so intrigued at the thread they were pulling on in that moment. And that's constantly what we're trying to help you to do and do and engage with. We're not sure we've got that right. You can go and have a look at the, the latest episodes of Killing Eve and see what you think about that. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of Cross-Section where we've continued to try and look at what it is to be a Christian right at the intersection of the cultural stories, the big stories on the news in Ukraine, the smaller cultural stories on the latest hits on BBC iPlayer. And we will be back next week with an all different cast and for a particular theme that we're going to be exploring next week. Looking forward to that. Please do join us on Cross-Section. Thank you and be blessed. Cross-Section. Conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture.